I could introduce you to Theo Henderson a couple of different ways. I could tell you that he's a podcast host, like me. I could say that he used to be a high school English teacher, that he still misses seeing that look on a kid's face when they really get something for the first time. Or I could tell you he's homeless. And for the last seven years, he's spent most nights bedded down in a playground in downtown L.A., Chinatown. And I tutor some of the kids. Um, of course, I give balloons or... Um, I like I, how you say, of course, I bring balloons. Like, I don't bring balloons. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> In a way, it was an outreach way of humanizing me, as well as getting the community to be educated about what being unhoused is. Theo prefers the term unhoused to homeless. He's noticed that as the number of people on the street in L.A. has grown, homeless has become like a slur. That's why he started a podcast. He calls it We the Unhoused. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of We the Unhoused. This episode is... He wants to change the way people see him. And for the most part, many of the community has been very kind to me looking after me or telling me when it's going to rain to prepare myself and things like that. It sounds like you almost launched a goodwill campaign of like, okay, I'm out here, but I need these people to know me. That's absolutely correct. When you're homeless, houseless, unhoused, you need friends. Theo says he's been stabbed, had tobacco spit, on him, and friends have helped him in those situations. But then they're the things people do that they think will help that actually end up doing the opposite. Like the sweeps the city of Los Angeles has been doing to clean up after residents like Theo. Specifically, anything that's on a public sidewalk, the city streets, or the grassy areas that's not supposed to be there, well, that is going to be removed today. Today we're doing a scheduled cleanup. That's what we're going to do. I've had my bedding taken multiple times. I've had my shoes taken, clothes, you name it. I've had, I've had it all taken. I've lost medication, but I have diabetes, and I have to be on certain medications to use uh, to keep my blood sugar down, where I don't go into a coma or have a stroke. So you got to go back all the way to, the, to the, the doctor again and explain, because remember the stereotypes and societal biases that people think you're trying to sell pills or, or you're a drug addict, they look at you suspiciously. Well, you came here yesterday. What happened to your stuff? Theo says what really bothers him is when these sweeps take away the very things that might get him off the street someday. I've lost uh, paperwork for housing uh, at least five times. I've lost my ID and Social Security card. I've lost my birth certificate and Social Security five times. When you say you've lost your ID five times, mm. does that mean five times over the last seven years? At least five times. <laughs> so you just keep getting a new one? Yeah, yeah. I have to because, <laughs> because I, I want to get out of the I want to get out of the situation like everyone else do. Today on the show, if you've heard about California's homeless problem, you've probably heard the staggering numbers that a quarter of the country's homeless population lives just in this one state. But in Los Angeles, there's a real history here and tens of thousands of people just like Theo. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us.
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I wanted to understand the bigger picture in L.A., so I called up Emily Alpert Reyes, a reporter for the L.A. Times. She covers city government, but in the last few years, that's increasingly meant she's covering homelessness. This has become the dominant focus of, you know, city government and city politics. You know, particularly now as rents have gotten really high, uh, there's this sense that, you know, people are in a much more precarious position. And, you know, while the immediate reasons that people become homeless, you know, are often some kind of personal calamity, the sort of the, the distance to fall uh, has become shorter because everyone's kind of uh, on a sort of walking a thinner line or on a on a smaller edge. Los Angeles has dealt with visible surges in homelessness before. In the 1970s, the city implemented what was known as containment. An area downtown, it's known as Skid Row, became the place where the city concentrated homeless services and homeless people, really. Emily Alpert Reyes was looking in the LA Times archives recently, reading about that time. There's this great paragraph from a story in 1985 that I want to read to you. Some of the language here is stuff that we might not necessarily say now, but I just think it's an interesting kind of snapshot. The containment plan was a pragmatic and some would argue humane attempt by city and business leaders to manage the problems of the downtown poor. It was an official recognition that the unemployed, the mentally and physically disabled, the bag ladies, the alcoholics and the hustlers who make up Skid Row represent a complex cancer of human need that cannot be cut out with a bulldozer's blade. A complex cancer. Yeah, it's it's quite a paragraph. Um, so part of the idea was that you would concentrate services there, that this would be sort of a hub, that if you were someone in need, you would be able to get things that you needed there. So you have like a shopping hub, you have a homelessness hub, you have, it, I, you can see how it might make sense? Yeah. And politically, of course, uh, it's probably advantageous for, for a lot of people who don't want visible homelessness in their neighborhoods to sort of encourage people that, you know, if you're down on your luck, you go to Skid Row. But Skid Row couldn't hold them all. A city report from last summer estimated that the homeless population went up 16 percent in one year. There are more than 36,000 people in Los Angeles without a roof over their heads. And if you zoom out, look at all of L.A. County, the tally swells to almost 60,000 people. This is all a long way of saying Homelessness is not a new problem for L.A., but it has become a bigger problem, and it's a lot easier to see. There was a man I talked to who lived in Sherman Oaks, which is a nice neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley, um, kind of more residential than you might picture for L.A. And he lived right along next to the highway will make it sound less pleasant than it is. He's sort of he has this lovely little um, yellow house that's sort of below the highway. There's a there's a tunnel that goes under the highway for children to go to a school nearby. And I was going out and knocking on doors asking people about um, sort of how homelessness had changed things in the neighborhood. And 
he told me, he's like, this morning I went out and I cleaned toilet paper out of that tunnel along with the thing that people usually use toilet paper for. The thing that I thought was really interesting, he, uh, he said, we have to take care of them. I just don't want it at the end of my driveway. In some areas, tents are lined up along the sidewalk, like an urban campground. The city does have laws against sleeping outside, having stuff outside. But court rulings have hampered the city's ability to penalize people for that. I mean, frankly, even if the police department were completely free to enforce these, if they spent all their time trying to just enforce the sidewalk rules, it would be all they would do. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's when you have a homelessness crisis of, on this scale, you know, policing as the exclusive response is is not really going to accomplish much. It's just going to sort of move people around. Back in 2016, voters approved a tax increase meant to pay for more affordable housing for the homeless all over the city. But the very first of these housing units just started opening this year. And I think that's really, that's been kind of the, the push and pull here is that, you know, LA voters have approved money for housing. They also approved a county tax to cover um, more services. You know, I think there's been a, a broad recognition that there needs to be more assistance. But there's also, you know, a, a growing frustration with the way things are right now. You know, people who feel like they don't recognize their parks and sidewalks and don't feel comfortable navigating their city the, the way that they used to. That has put pressure on, you know, the council to try to do some interim measures to crack down, even as they're saying, well, we want to provide housing and services for people. Yeah. I mean, the city in the summer came up with this plan, right? The idea was to clean up after homeless encampments. Yeah. I mean, so LA had been cleaning up or doing sweeps would be what the activists would call it, um, around homeless encampments for a very long time. That That's not a new thing. What does a sweep look like? I tagged along on sort of the process for cleaning up one encampment that was literally just one guy's sort of structure that he had built on this corner. And there's a process where they put up a posting and they say, you know, we're going to be doing this cleaning on this day. And then, you know, we went out on this day and there were, you know, just a whole crew of people in white suits just dismantling this um, this structure he'd put together with tarps and blankets and kind of this interesting raised floor that he had so he wasn't sleeping directly on the sidewalk and just throwing out a lot of stuff. And the man that we'd been following there, he shoved as much of his stuff as he could into a shopping cart, rolled it over maybe a block away, you know, tried to nap for a little bit and came back and started trying to assemble it again. So there had been this sort of Sisyphean cycle of cleanups where, you know, activists complained that these were traumatizing and that people were losing things that they really needed to survive and get out of homelessness, like, you know, like documents, ID. On the flip side, people who were just really annoyed about trash and clutter in the streets felt like we're not, you know, we're not actually getting anything done, that we're continue to have these cleanups and people come back and we continue to have these cleanups and people come back and nothing was really happening. So Mayor Eric Garcetti was under pressure from these two very different directions, um, people who just wanted the trash gone and people who thought that L.A. needed a more um, 
you know, a more humane way to um, keep its streets clean. So what was his solution? Well, he and several council members announced this new system, um, which they said would both be more effective and more compassionate. Under this new compassionate plan, the city would clean up homeless encampments by sending teams of city employees. Sanitation workers would be deployed alongside homeless outreach workers. And police would be on call in case these cleanup teams felt like they needed assistance. And the police were a a sticky issue from the beginning because um, the activists did not want police involved at all. And there was some pushback from sanitation workers who said, you know, sometimes we're in situations where people get combative with us and we want to know that we can call in police if we're feeling unsafe. So right from the start, there was sort of this tension about what was the role of police going to be. One of the other changes that happened was that, you know, in the past, outreach workers might be at a cleanup, but they might also just stop by beforehand to try to do outreach with people. They might not physically be there. And under the new system, they were deploying with the sanitation workers. So they were going out there at the same time. So they were presenting as if they were allied with these people. They they were going out there at the same time, which um, has been something that uh, has become a concern for some of them since then. Yeah. I mean, I when we spoke to Theo, he said he'd lost his ID five times in what he called sweeps. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's been the big complaint. Services, not sweeps. Services, not sweeps. Services, not sweeps. There's a coalition of activists in L.A. who refer to their cause as services, not sweeps. They think homelessness is criminalized and they want to see that change. And what they had argued for was, look, we do trash pickup for houses and apartment complexes. We should just be doing trash pickup for homeless encampments, that this shouldn't be uh, a way of pushing people to get rid of stuff. We should just be providing them the same kind of service that we provide everyone. And then what's happened since then, I think, has been a, a real disappointment to you know, folks who had argued for really redoing this entire system. It sounds like you're saying no one really liked this program. People thought there were too few police, too many police. Who thought it worked? Well, the hard part is, I mean, really, it's with a city this big, it's always hard to tell how things are working citywide. Um, often kind of what it looks like is different in different neighborhoods. What the city decided to do was that they would start automatically sending out police with cleanup teams in any areas where they had concerns about safety um, so that that would be an automatic thing as opposed to them sort of calling on police. And the biggest thing is they said that the cleanup teams are going to fully enforce uh, the limits on how much stuff you can have. So early on, you know, when this new system was set out, the goal is sanitary streets and, and public areas. Now the direction is we need to be enforcing these rules. Yeah, it sounds like a crackdown to me. Uh, it's certainly been the impression from the activists who are who are really upset about it. Of course, for for people who, on the flip side, felt like this kind of softer approach was just leading to more and more stuff piling up in sidewalks and on parks and making the city less livable. You know, that they welcome it. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting because listening to you talk about all the different constituencies here, I can see how everyone has a point, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy who's cleaning human waste out of a 
tunnel like has a legitimate concern. Like it, I, I think that's, you know, something that's always really hard as a reporter to balance. And obviously, you know, for someone like Theo losing his ID, that's a huge impact on his life um, and his ability to potentially uh, change his circumstances. It's funny because <laughs> looking at your coverage, I kept wondering whether all the constituencies here actually agreed on what they were talking about. Because for some people, the homelessness crisis is about trash and sort of quality of life issues. That guy who's you know cleaning up toilet paper from his tunnel by his house. For others, you know, they're talking about, well, there's addiction we need to address. And then for more people, it's about housing and the fact that there isn't enough affordable housing in California. And I wonder if you feel like everyone agrees about what they're talking about when you go to a city council meeting. Well, uh, probably more so in the city council than I do in the community. I've heard a lot of skepticism from residents about whether the city's focusing too much on housing. And I think part of that comes from the fact that people did vote for these these measures to to build housing. And because it takes a long time to build it, people aren't seeing immediate change. And so I, I often hear people say, well, we tried that and it didn't work. And of course, we don't have any of that housing open yet. We haven't really tried it yet. It's it's not, we're not there yet. But politically you know, people are losing patience with it. And we've talked about how many people see the solution here as housing. And you've said how Los Angeles has agreed to tax itself more and that various communities have decided to open up affordable housing, but it takes time. When is that supposed to happen? Well, we're starting to see some of those projects open now. Um, You know, construction's been ongoing in, in recent years. But the number of units that we're going to get is still, you know, significantly lower than the number of people on the street. And I think there's been a broader realization that until the the problem of affordability is tackled, we're going to have a visible homeless population in Los Angeles for, for some time. This is not going to be a quick fix. And in light of that, there's this, I think, this ongoing battle over what that means for public space. So if the reality is that we're not going to have enough shelter or housing for all the people we have on the street, you know, anytime soon, do we allow people to, you know, stay in parks overnight? Or is that a bridge too far? Are parks somewhere that's that we just shouldn't be allowing encampments? There's been a very vigorous activist movement around um, kind of an iconic park, Echo Park Lake, where there's been an encampment on one side of the lake. And I mean, actually, like groups of people going out and protesting when uh, cleanups are scheduled, you know, physically sitting in front of uh, vehicles from the Department of Sanitation and blocking tents, you know, so that they're not taken away. These are residents who have homes. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this also this really interesting schism among housed people in the neighborhood. Um, You know, I, I kind of walked around Echo Park Lake and knocked on doors of people who live super nearby. And, you know, there's certainly people who are just fed up and want the encampment gone and, and don't feel safe going to the lake in the way they used to. And then there are a lot of people who say it's frustrating to see, but I don't know where else they're going to go. And 
you know, in light of that, it's just the reality now. Emily Alpert-Reyes, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Emily Alpert-Reyes is a reporter for the Los Angeles Times. Theo Henderson, who you heard from at the top, he hosts the podcast We the Unhoused. Check it out. Theo says he thinks he's getting pretty close to having a place to live. And he says if you notice someone who's unhoused in your own neighborhood, the best thing you can do is say hello. Treat them like a neighbor. Lend them a hand if you're able. One more thing before I sign off, a shout out to a couple of our listeners, Anthony Cantor and Jeff Dugan. These guys tracked me down on Twitter last week with a really small but really important mistake in our show about Michael Bloomberg. In that episode, we talked about the strategy Bloomberg had to win the presidency by forcing a vote in the House of Representatives. Our guest said this had not been attempted since 1800. Actually, it is 1824. John Quincy Adams. Look it up. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. For more on the housing crisis in Los Angeles, check out Slate.com. We just published a story called Living on the Streets of L.A. Thanks for listening. I'm Mary Harris. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.